Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. Hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on some of the history of astrology, with an examination of astrology in Rome, which is the period from 300 BC to uh, roughly AD 476. Like many other influences in the Roman world, such as art, architecture, military weapons, as well as gods and goddesses, astrology really comes to Rome most likely through the Greek influences. With both Greek and Roman culture, astrology and divination was very much connected with the Chaldean wisdom and astrologers become very popular among all classes of society during Imperial Rome. The study of how and the story of how astrology really um, came into being in ancient Rome is, is unclear. However, it is likely to be part of the intermingling of cultures from Rome, Greece, the Mediterranean and Asia as well as part of a conquest by Alexander the Great and also possibly by Greek slaves who the Romans took captive. Other theories connecting the beginning of astrological practice in Rome uh, come with the, the story about the slave Antiochus, who was meant to have brought to Rome in 2nd century BC, and also the orator Cato, who was meant to have uttered warnings against the influence of Chaldean astrologers who had entered Italy along with Greek culture. The early Roman astrologers were often called Chaldeans and through their charts, through their divination techniques and magic, the art becomes very popular with priests and common people alike for the purposes of fortune telling, but also the use of the planetary cycles and philosophy behind it. And these early astrologers of the Roman period were known as astrologers of the circus, as the Romans liked to bet heavily on chariot races, and then they'd bring their soothsayer along to help them win. The poet Juvenal, who was active in the 1st and 2nd century AD, is meant to have written, People who cannot appear in public, dine or bathe, without first consulted an ephemeris. So, yeah, it's this idea of, the you know, it's very much part of society. People would consult um, these soothsayers, these astrologers, and ask them, you know, what's going to happen to me at that meeting next week? What is going to be the, you know, the outcome of of this particular business deal, etc.? So it's all very much part of this aspect of of starting to rely on it. It's becoming kind of mainstream. Also, during this period, there's numerous accounts of emperors uh, using the skills of astrologers and soothsayers to to uh, find out if there's any dangers to their kingdom or to help them with decision making. And it becomes, you know, so popular that by the time of Julius Caesar in 102 to 44 BC, the majority of Roman statesmen, emperors, um, you know, military commanders and leaders would have had their horoscopes cast and Caesar is famous for the Ides of March incident that was later immortalised by Shakespeare. Also, there is an account of Emperor Caesar Augustus having made coins 
of his moon sign, Capricorn. And the following is from Suetonius, 2nd century biography of Augustus, where it describes the emperor's visit to the soothsayer, which was meant to have taken place just after Julius Caesar's assassination in 44 BCE. And it goes as follows. Augustus went with his friend Agrippa to visit Theogenes, the astrologer, in his gallery on the roof. Agrippa, who first consulted the fates, had great and almost incredible things predicted of him. Augustus, therefore, did not wish to make known his nativity and persisted for some time in the refusal from a mixture of shame and fear, lest his own fate should be predicted as inferior to that of Agrippa. When Augustus had been persuaded, however, after much importunity to declare his nativity, Theogenes started up from his seat and paid him adoration. Not long afterwards, Augustus was so confident of the greatness of his destiny that he published his horoscope and struck a silver coin bearing the image of Capricorn, the sign under which he was born. The Emperor Tiberius is also meant to have been deeply interested in astrology and is meant to have uh, employed an astrology known as Thassilus, who is believed to have descended from either Greek or Egypt. Thassilus is meant to have correctly predicted that Tiberius would become the Emperor after Augustus, which turned out to be true. He also became the court astrologer for Tiberius and his predictions were meant to have been so accurate that he was awarded Roman citizenship for him and his family by Tiberius, which is nice. This idea of the court astrologer um, is also something that Empress Hadrian and Domitian were also involved with, as well as the Emperors Caligula and Nero, who are also meant to um, use these, employ the services of these soothsayers and diviners to, to kind of kind of try and work out if there was a threat to their power, a threat to the emperor. So Nero uh, famously forced one of his advisors to commit suicide in the first century um, for the crime of requesting the emperor's horoscope from a banished astrologer, Pamines. As mentioned, another emperor who did also employ astrology was Emperor Hadrian, who dates from AD 117 to AD 138, and he announced on the first day of each year the events that his charts told him would happen during the coming year. And he predict correctly predicted the hour of his own death. Caligula, um, who's also you know one of the cruelest emperors out there, was also particularly interested in magic and the spiritual world, apparently. And is meant to have had secret conversations with a statue of Jupiter, um, that was the most important temple in Rome, asking for information about his future and his enemies. He was also the emperor who declared himself to be a living god and an embodiment of the god Jupiter later in his career. So very much similar to this sort of uh, concept from ancient Egypt as well. One of the most important astrological figures of the Roman times is a man called Julius Firmicus Maternus, who was an astrologer, he was a lawyer, and also a Christian um, from the island of Sicily, who lived in the 4th century AD, during the time of the Emperor Constantine. 
And he's famous because he wrote a, a textbook on astrology in Latin, which is known as the Mathesis. This book's quite interesting because it contains lots of different material from ancient Greek authors, which was translated into Latin and is really a textbook on astrology for people of the time. Um, it also contains the only known surviving horoscope in Latin. And I just wanted to quote from the Matithis quickly. Look with wide open eyes at the heavens and let your soul contemplate the most beautiful fabric of the divine creation. This is the way to free our souls from the depraved snares of the body and to put off the dangers of mortality. They will then hasten to their maker with accelerated pace, seeking nothing other than divine things through the moments of all these hours. These principles of the Matesis will give us a small intimation of divine knowledge and lead us to the secrets of our source. Occupied with this holy doctrine, we turn our souls towards heavenly powers and initiate them into divine rites. And that's a quote from Matesis, which is an interesting book. Another important text that was influential from an astrological point of view for the Roman period is a text known as the Astronomica that was written in the first and second decades of this era by uh, the Roman didactic poet Marcus Manilius. And this is a Hellenistic astrological Latin didactic poem that talks about celestial phenomena written in hexameters and then it's divided up into five books. This is one of the earliest works on astrology that's still intact and it also interestingly describes the zodiac, it describes lots of astrological ideas and it follows the style, the philosophy of Lucretius, Virgil, Ovid and stresses the, this importance of providence in the kind of government of the world but also the importance of divine reason and it, it kind of in, it incorporates a lot of mythology about the gods of ancient Rome as well. And I quote, The stars and in themselves know nothing of fate, but that men skilled in the art of divination read it in the book of stars, as in the tables of the gods. As birds are not conceived to be skilled in augury, though from their voice or flight, men knowing therein foretell future events. So it's saying that the stars don't, know the fight but man's knowledge man's understanding how man interprets those will then sort of unlock this um unlock this this basically this kind of wisdom and knowledge of the future so it's how they interact which is very much kind of relevant to today when rome was sacked by the huns in 410 ad so uh too began you know, it began to see the decline of astrology and a lot of um, this philosophy until it begins to emerge in the Middle Ages. In the next episode, we'll be continuing this discussion with a look at how some of these ideas of Greece and Rome moved into the Arabic world and then were later on picked up during the medieval and Renaissance period. I wanted to end this episode with a reading from Ovid, Metamorphosis. Ovid was an amazing um, Roman poet who lived during the reign of Augustus and he was a contemporary of Virgil and Horace with whom he is often ranked as being one of the most important poets of Latin literature. And this is The Creation of the World by Ovid. 
Of bodies changed to various forms I sing, ye gods from whom these miracles did spring. Inspire my numbers with celestial heat, till I long laborious work complete. And add perpetual tenure to my rhymes, deduced from earth, nature to Caesar's times. Before the seas and this terrestrial ball, and heaven's high canopy that covers all. One was the face of nature, if a face, rather a rude and indigested mass. A lifeless lump, unfashioned and unframed, of jarring seeds and justly chaos named. No sun was lighted up the world to view. No moon did yet her blunted horns renew. Nor yet was earth suspended in the sky, nor poised did on her own foundations lie. Nor seas about the shores their arms had thrown, but earth and air and water were in one. Thus air was void of light, and earth unstable, and water's dark abyss unnavigable. No certain form on any was impressed, all were confused, and each disturbed the rest. For hot and cold were in one body fixed, and soft with hard and light with heavy mixed. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Ocklandon Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please make sure to visit our website at ocklandon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>